0: The following is a presentation of Bridges Community Church. Our teacher today is Pastor Ron King. For more information on Bridges Community Church, visit us online at www.bridgescc.org. Would you open your Bible up to Romans chapter 3? Isn't it um, true that we love when fairness prevails? We, we really have something hardwired in us. When we were little, we thought, man, I, I really want fairness. You can actually go to the preschool and watch what happens over at Little Land, Or you can go to an elementary school and see kids screaming for fairness. And one kid will be screaming, that's not fair. And the other kid will be screaming, that's not fair. And they're, they're talking about the same thing. And you're wondering, what are they arguing about, right? Because we all have our little definitions of what's fair and just. But when the good guy comes riding into town with the six shooters blazing and he's coming to establish fairness, that's something that's inside hardwired us, speaking out saying, yeah, I want, I want the truth and justice to prevail. We have that hunger, except when it comes to us, right? We, we want when um, the, the bad guy gets his, there's, ah, that's good, right? But we'd rather not actually have to be accountable to justice in every area of our own life. This morning, I've got really great news and some hard news that comes first. The hard news is this, that God in his word has given a sure and clear answer to fairness question. And of course, that, that question is a little spicy for us because when we think about fairness, I was talking with somebody in between services about this that in a moral relative culture, everyone wants to speak out to their definition of what's fair. And if there's just moral, nothing is, nothing is true, and we don't have absolute truth and everything's relative, then there is no justice. There is no true fairness because everyone's just interpreting it for themselves. And what I say is one version of the truth and what Ben says is another and what Tony says obviously is unjust. So... Well, how do I deal with with what's fair? How do I I know? That question is underlined the text of this morning in Romans chapter 3. Now, to give you a little context before we read the text, in Romans chapter 1 and 2, if you've missed the series a little bit, uh, let me catch you up to speed. God's been making a point for people of all stripes, every person of all time, to understand what's actually fair. And what his plan is of grace and love and compassion to speak into that. And one of the questions, the fairness questions that have come up in the text already is is this, that that why should all people be held accountable? Because not everybody has the Bible. Not everyone's read the Bible. And in Romans chapter 1, we hear the story that it's the the argument of of the natural argument. Paul gives that every person who's ever lived can walk outside and see the majesty and the glory of God and know that God exists and understand something of His attributes. That that He is a God who is creative and a God of order and a God who loves. We can know things about God, and even though we push against that and push against His existence and, and try to sneak away from answering to God. Paul gives this argument that every person stands accountable before God because they can know in their heart. They can look outside. They can, they can even look inside. They can see people around here in this room. You can look around yourself in this room and see the marvelous creativity and glory of God through other people. Even through your spouse, you can see it. And that's, that's a glory of God. And, and, and then in chapter 2, he gives us another argument, and that is the moral argument that that God has written what is right and what is wrong inside a person's soul, their conscience. And so even though you might feel like truth is arbitrary and, and you might want to make an argument, an excuse to get away from accountability of God, that doesn't wash because God has written it on your heart. And so every person, regardless of their culture, regardless of their worldview, regardless of their background, they stand before God. And they stand before God without an excuse, but really, is that fair? That's what Romans chapter 3 is going to get at. Is that really fair? Now, some of the circumstances that Paul is writing to here in the first few verses, they're not yours unless you happen to be a first century Jew, which I don't think that applies to any of us. But there are some great principles underlying it. So let's pick up the text. Romans chapter 3, if you have a Bible, grab one. If you don't have one, there's some provided for around you, or look on your phone. And uh, if you don't have that on your phone, you can get an app, it's free, and you can get a Bible so you can carry it around with you all the time. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to just make a few comments after we read a bit, and we'll go through the text. We're just reading the first eight verses today, this morning. Then, what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Here's the question that's popping up at the very beginning. Doggone it, I'm a Jew. And I, I am a person who has tried to follow the law that God has given us. And actually, I've made a lot of sacrifices for that. So how is it fair that I should be accountable before God? Shouldn't he give me a little something, something? A little something extra for being such a great person and being a chosen one before God? And, and why should I have to answer to this? Why why am I separated from God? God should give me a little something extra because of my ethnicity, because of my heritage. Much in every way, actually, Paul responds. There are advantages for what God has done with me. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted trusted with the oracles of God. God spoke specifically so that they would know the truth. And that's a good thing. That was an advantage for them. He was more than fair for them. He was a God of grace and compassion to them. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? That is, okay, there's some of us that they are jerks. Some of us that have violated God's expectation and standards. But should we all have to, you know, be accountable to God because some of us are knuckleheads? Should, does, does that make, is that fair? I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. Why should, why should I have to suffer the consequences of their sinfulness? Now, the argument has been throughout the very beginning of Romans that all of us are accountable because all of us have sinned. All of us have broken God's commands and his expectations for us, both in action and in inaction, in word and in deed. We're all guilty before God, but they're still wrestling with the fairness question here still struggling with it. So, he continues the argument, does their faithfulness nullify this? By no means, verse 4. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And actually, that's true, isn't it? Every one of us, although most of us want to excuse it or deny it or lie about it, are liars. We all have not been absolutely true. That's the hard truth that we have to face before God, that we've all been dishonest, dissembled, not been true to our, our true self, our conscience, and not been true to God. As is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So there's going to be a judgment, Paul is saying, and we're all going to be accountable before God. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? That is, if, if I've been unrighteous, I have not done the right thing. Is God unjust because of his wrath? Now, if you missed the ongoing argument, we're in the middle of this context of Romans. We've discovered that, that God is going to judge all unrighteousness. And that actually is a good thing. It points to a universe that is fair, not unjust, but a just universe. Think about this. What would it be like to know that there is no justice at the end of the day? That every person can just needs to grab whatever they can grab because there's no guarantees that, that justice will prevail. And in fact, much of life by many people is lived that way, that very way, that there is no justice at the end, so just do whatever you can get away with Do whatever you want. But actually, the truth of Scripture is different, that that there is justice, and this is actually good news, although it's hard news to wrestle with and wrestle through this morning. So should I, because of the righteousness of God, just do what I want to do? And is God justified in being a God who judges, wars against all unrighteousness? I speak in a human way, Paul says, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? It, if it didn't matter about righteousness or unrighteousness, then it wouldn't matter that there is absolute accountability and what, by what standard would God be able to judge? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Now that argument, he's going to pick up in Romans chapter 6. If God is just and I'm a sinner, then why shouldn't I just sin like crazy? Because then everyone will look at me and say, wow, God is so great that he would love a guy like that, a jerk like that who sins all that much, Right? Then then I can just keep on sinning and and God will see how grace-filled he is to love a person like Kendall. Right? Or Greg or me. How amazing that is that So why don't we just go ahead and sin so that grace would abound, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. So, underlying the text, there's a couple things that Paul is going to be addressing. A couple major questions here. The first one is, what's fair? What is fair? What is fair in a universe that feels arbitrary at times, when it feels like evil is prevailing, when it feels like, is there really a true standard when everybody else has all these different arguments about what is fair? Is there really true fairness? Now, this question comes in this context, as I've mentioned, that Paul is making this argument in Romans. And the first thing that he said is that all of us, every one of us, every person of all time has sinned, has violated God's standard, has separated themselves from God, willfully has done that. And no excuse for that. And that God wars against unrighteousness and its effects. He actively battles against that and has done something about all that unrighteousness. And finally, that my sin and your sin, all of our sins, it leads inevitably to death. Now, that's the conclusions that Paul is continuing to drive home to us. And in the context of those conclusions, it's important to note that he brings up this issue of fairness for a really important reason. The good news that God loves us despite our sin and has done something about our sinfulness and the person of Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life and died for me and for you so that I might experience the grace of God through placing my faith in him. That good news, that guarantees me by the promise of God and his action in history, eternal life, and God's looking at me and saying, Ron, even though you deserve it, condemnation, you will not get it because you are righteous in the righteousness of Christ. That great news, that that wonderful news that I experience, that has no meaning. It falls apart if there's no ultimate accountability. If I can just sneak away with a little bit of my sin when no one sees me, or if all people can do that, if there is no ultimate justice, then it doesn't matter. Washes. If God is not fully just, fully fair, and if all people of all time won't experience his justice, it doesn't make sense. So the question is, is there really ultimate justice? And what is fair? What is, uh, because I have different standards than other people. We, we can argue until we're blue in the face. But Scripture has said something really important, that, that God has certain standards for us. And the standard is holiness, absolute purity before him. And it's perfect. That standard is perfect. And I don't get to make it up. And the person next to me doesn't get to make it up. Because God himself makes it up. We have this longing, don't we, for uh, superheroes. For someone to come in and set all that's, that's twisted and wrong right. You, you, who has this great power to be able to do that. And actually, that hunger, that thirst comes from somewhere you know, when I'm watching Marvel heroes and Superman or, you know, Spider-Man or whatever it might be and, or the Avengers, I'm watching that. It, it speaks to something inside, that wiring inside for something to make things right. And that something is the Lord God who is just. That wiring inside of me is there for a reason, to point me to a God who is absolutely just. So What's fair? According to God's word, what's fair is that my sin has separated me from God, that I stand before God just like every person of all time, guilty before God, and that I deserve, you deserve judgment before a just and holy God. Isn't that good news? It's not good news except for the justice of God has been steered a different direction. He is absolutely just, but he's done something about the justice that I deserve, the condemnation that I've deserved through Jesus Christ. He's done something marvelous, stunning for me. The Bible helps us understand fairness by making statements about who God is, that God is sovereign and just, and his justice will prevail throughout the pages of scripture that story is written that god is sovereign he's the king he's reigning from first to last and he is just justice matters to him and one day ultimately justice will prevail even though this day it feels like evil prevails it feels like people get away with things it feels like everything is not fair and right in our world because it's not. Because sin has an ongoing hurtful presence in our world. But exactly at exactly the right time, Scripture says, he'll step in. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before God judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Everybody, Scripture says, stands before God. We cry out in part of our spirit to say, oh man, I really want things to be fair. Wouldn't it be great for everything to be fair? That's part of me. I want to see fairness happen to those people that wrong me. I want to see fairness happen to those jerks who are inj- unjust. I want to see fairness happen to the Hitler and Muslims. I want to see fairness happen to them, but not to me, right? I, I don't want to stand before God and for him to give me what I really deserve. Do you? When, when the standard is, is perfect holiness and justice, that's hard, To know that every person will stand before God. And and there's this twisted logic that some Christians have, by the way. That we as Christians, because we have the mercy and grace of God, and we enjoy that, we're not going to stand before God. We don't have to answer for everything. Is that true or false? Yeah, it's false according to the word of God. I just read 2 Corinthians 5.10, which says, Every person stands before God accountable for their actions, for their words, for their actions, for their inactivity, For there's silence in the moment. Every person stands before God. And fairness will condemn us. Because we will all be guilty and deserving of condemnation. Every one of us. Isn't that what you came to church to hear? That's hard, isn't it? Can we admit that? That this part of us that screams out for fairness that resists. It doesn't look inward and internally. We, we'd rather not be accountable. And yet, without the accountability of God and his justice, there is no fairness in the world. There is, this is not a just universe without a just God. Now, here's good news. Even in the middle of this reality, God loved me and you. Didn't he, Keith? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And right after that memory verse, John 3, 16, that many of you know and very well, you know, that God so loved me. It says in John 3, 17, that God did not come into this world to condemn the world. That's not his heart. Even as a just God who's been offended and violated, his justice has been trampled over. By me. He didn't come to condemn me. This is not a message that we preach, that we live of condemnation, but so that the world through him might be saved, rescued from our judgment that we deserve. We could be rescued from it. Is that good news? Hello. Wow, man, that's like getting up shouting good news, right? That's fantastic news. Later on, Paul will pen the words in Romans chapter 8. Now there is no condemnation. That is me paying the right penalty before a just God. Why? Why is that? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who actually find our identity, faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross, so that when I stand before God in the judgment seat of God... He looks at me, and he knows that I'm a sinner and that I should be condemned. And he sees the righteousness of Christ, and he says, not guilty. And I say, whoo, wow. Now, listen, there are all kinds of popular myths about how we stand before God, and most of them are told so we won't feel really as guilty as we should, and so they're told in joke form. People go up to heaven and stand before, you know, St. Peter not God because it's easier to stand before Peter because he's blown it a lot, right? Not before a holy God. And so we get up to the, you know, to the heaven's gate or where we're supposed to be according to popular myth, and a joke's told. Here's one of them. So two guys from Fremont, they, um, they, at the end of their day, they go before heaven. And uh, one guy, I, I heard, I was corrected actually between services about this joke. It's taken a lot of different permutations, so let me get the correction before you one of them was a bus driver happened to be a bus driver who was having this conversation with me after the first service so he wanted to correct me about that one is a bus driver and the other one was a pastor and they um, they come before St Peter and uh, they're standing in line long line you know i finally get to the front and the bus driver goes before god and he gets in and this guy is not a really great guy and he's not a good driver either and um, but he gets in somehow and and then the pastor comes before saint peter and um he gets in too amazingly enough and, and the pastor gets this little log cabin it's a little shanty you know it's a little scrap heap and the bus driver gets this great mansion this lavish mansion it's just great it's got everything you know and the pastor's thinking wait a second that's just not right that's not just that's not fair Look what I did with my life. And so he goes to St. Peter. He says, what's the deal with this? It doesn't seem fair. And Peter looks at him and he says, you know what? You, um, you spoke all these fancy, eloquent words and, and people like just fell asleep. Every time you spoke, there were people falling asleep and losing their faith. You're lucky you're here. <laughs> and he go, ah, but what about this bus driver? He said, oh, the bus driver. Every time someone jumped in his bus, they were screaming out in faith. That's why he gets the a good place. See, we get all these stories about the justice of God, and they, they feel funny to us, right? But the truth is hard. The, the hard truth is that God does not tolerate injustice. That every, every act that's unjust will face the judgment of God. And the only reason that I get to enjoy the mercies of God are because they're mercies, because they're grace, not because of what I've done or the things I've said, but because I've placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. That's the whole thing. And if you've never done that, listen carefully. Every one of us here deserves the judgment and the condemnation of God. And you will receive your just rewards unless you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has done something about it for you so that you might hear the words, not guilty. Because we deserve guilt. Why? Because of who is fair. And that's the second question that underlines this text. What is fair is the first one. The second one is is who is fair I love Calvin and Hobbes. Don't know if you like that. Um, But we've got a whole collection. And um, recently we gave, for Christmas, we gave this whole, you can get the whole unedited version collection of Calvin and Hobbes to my brother-in-law who is an avid fan. But there's a little cartoon in Calvin and Hobbes. And, And Calvin, as you know, is a little precocious and he gets himself in trouble all the time. And so he's thinking about Christmas. And he's thinking about Santa who judges the naughty and nice and he's upset that he would be held accountable. And so he's writing this letter to Santa. What gives you the right, Santa, to judge morally? And what, by what standards do you judge? I think that I should get, you know, plenty of things. And it's not fair that you should judge me this way. And then Hobbes says, he's the one that makes the toys. <laughs> the truth of Scripture is, God makes the standards. He's the one who judges. And that actually is good news. It's good news that Mike, my brother, whom I love right here, does not make the rules. That's really good. It's good that I can stand before a holy, just God, held accountable before him, and yet receive his mercy, that we live in a just and fair world that ultimately will receive the justice of God. Because fairness resides and flows out of the nature of God. Fairness resides and flows out of the nature of God. And all throughout Scripture, there are stories written about God establishing His justice and that one day His justice will be ultimately given to us. And that's good news only because there's mercy, only because there's grace, because I can be assured ultimately that this is a just universe. J.I. Packer, in his wonderful short theology for all of us, written, um, has written a book called Knowing God, and I commend it to you. He's got a chapter in there on God the judge that really is well-written. And in there, he presses some points about the nature of God that I wanted to relay to you that are significant points. The first one is this, that that God is a judge with authority. He has the authority. Why? Because he created it all. I don't have authority, praise God for you, right? And for me, that, that I'm not the one calling the shots. Because my judgment, my sense of what's fair would be arbitrary. But God has the authority as the sovereign God to be the one who authoritatively says what's right and wrong and and judges accordingly. And God is a judge who embodies what's good and right. Every judge, human judge, has biases and judges accordingly. God is not like that. God is absolutely good and right in his nature so I can trust in the judgments of God that they're going to be right and it's not going to be one of those situations where 30 years later they say, oops, imprisoned you in hell for 30 years. Sorry about that. No, because God is good and right and all his judgments are good and true and right. That's good. And God is a judge of wisdom, able to discern the truth. I have a good friend who is a judge in Michigan. He's been a judge that sat on the seat for a lot of years. And we've had um, conversations about that. And one thing he, he says, you know, I just wish that we could dispense with all the lawyers. Part of me, I know this is not right, but part of me, just in the honest conversation a judge has. And I had, I had actually the discernment to be able, to, when a person walked before me to say, ah, just stop it, you're guilty, Right? Let's just dispense with all the other stuff. Or, no, wow, I see that. You're actually innocent. Go. Let's not waste time over this. Just how efficient the judicial system would be that way, right? If, if judges were all knowing and all discerning, they, they just knew it right away. You, you wouldn't have to worry about whether justice was actually done. But justice is not done consistently. We have a judicial system we ought to praise God for in many ways because when you compare it to the yeah, other judicial systems in the world, we, we've got a lot of good things happening, even though injustice happens all the time here in the States. But injustice does not happen before the throne of God. He sees, He discerns, He knows. We get our little, yeah, but uh, uh, that's not fair, but no, but what about that person? God discerns the truth. He sees right through us. He knows our heart. He knows every intent. He sees every action before him. I stand before the throne of God naked. And actually, that's good news. Even though it's hard news for us to hear. For us to know there's no escape. There's no excuse. And that this is part of the good news. Part of why grace is so good. I know... um, This week, there are things that I've personally done that have offended God. He looks down, Ron, what were you thinking when you did that? From what well of selfishness did that come from? Why did you not do that activity? I can remember um, one, one day this week, just at the end of my day, feeling like, Lord, I just feel like I totally failed you. And God's response is, yeah, that's right, that's true. I still love you though I still offer you my grace in Christ Jesus son I'm glad you came I'm glad you confessed that before me you need to keep doing that by the way but um, I forgive you this is the good news of the gospel that we're not a just people but we are forgiven people amen to that And God is the judge with the power to execute judgment. That is, um, that God is unlike the judicial system here in the U.S. Again, my, my friend, the judge struggles with this, that they'll come to a right conclusion, the jury will, but then the sentence won't match the crime. But with God, we can be sure that the sentence does match the crime. The sentence is eternal separation from God for sin that separates us. And if that were the end of the story again, then it would only be a message of condemnation, but our message is so much sweeter, so much better. It's that even though I deserve that judgment from a fair God who sees all and has the capacity to execute judgment, and will one day, that I still have been declared not guilty before God because of the righteousness of Christ. That's wonderfulness. Because God will and is a God of retribution. Biblical retribution, by the way, is rewarding people with what they deserve. And that's the message of Scripture, that, that we get what we deserve, except that Christ bore the load of our sinfulness. He received what I deserved. And in that sense, even though God's justice was satisfied, I'm not going to be under the retribution of God. Praise God for that. In fact, in Revelation, there's this scream from heaven, hallelujah, God is just. Hallelujah, we're rescued. Revelation, as John pens it, the last Describes the events this way in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And I want you to capture the scene. This is at the end of all time, just before the new heaven and the new earth, and we receive all that we have coming. Then I saw a great white throne. This is verse 11, Revelation chapter 20. And Him who was seated on it, God Himself. From His presence, earth. And sky fled away, and no place was found for them. That is, there's no place to hide or to escape from the judgment of God. And I saw the dead, small and great, great and small, excuse me, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ultimately, all people stand before God, answer before God, and judgment will happen. But there's a book. It's called the book of life in Scripture. And your name can be written in it. And only by the mercy and grace of God is my name there. So when I stand before God, he's going to look and a just discerning God won't say, whoops, don't see the name. I guess we forgot it. He's going to say, Ron, you don't deserve this. You know that, right? I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I totally know that. He's going to review all the acts of my life. It's humbling. It's a naked place before God. And he's going to say, now listen. Taste the grace of God. Know it for what it is. How sweet this message is. So how do we deal, how do we take home this kind of truth? It's a challenging truth, isn't it? Let me give you a couple suggestions. First, in the wake of this, live like you're accountable this week. Live like every action, every word matters to God. Because it does. He's a fair, just God. Yeah, he loves you. And yeah, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you've been rescued from condemnation. But every act still matters to a just God. It matters what you do this week. So live like that. And second, cherish grace this week. If you have placed your faith in Christ, man, just savor it like a good wine. Savor it like something that you think is delicious. Revel in grace because it is sweeter than you understand. And if you have never placed your faith in Christ, Know that you stand before God accountable. And there's only one thing that you need to do to experience the grace of God, and that is place your faith in him. Come before him honestly. Say, Lord God, I, I need you. Please forgive me for my, my sin, my separation, things I have done. I'm gonna place my faith in you. And in that, you'll experience that there is not condemnation in God. There's rescue. There's life for you. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for um, good, hard, uh, sweet news. That in you there is not condemnation, though we deserve it. And that this is a, a universe that is just because you are just. And yet you are loving. We praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church, located in Fremont, California. For more information about Bridges Community Church, please visit us online at www.bridgescc.org.